0: I have the greatest privilege to introduce tonight's guest speaker. And um, can I just say, he's my friend. You know, he's a a spiritual brother. Uh, My spiritual mentors, Pastor Benjamin and Pastor Sonny, uh, he's a son of that house. It's called Living Hope Christian Center. And um, it's a powerful church. They're powerful pastors. Uh, But, you know, we have a theme in uh, Emmaus and in New Philly that we call Sonship. And the concept of sonship is when you have a spiritual father or a spiritual mentor, something that we're more familiar with, spiritual mentor, their ceiling, as far as they could reach, is our floor. That's crazy if you think about it. Your parents, their level of success, they want their level of success to be your floor. Trust me. They don't want you to just go as high as they went. They want you to go even farther. That's the heart of a parent. That's the heart of a father. And so I know that my spiritual father and mother, my mentors, they are like up there. They are so incredible, so anointed. So I thought strategically, should I invite them or should I invite the person where their ceiling is his floor, and I thought, shoot, I'm inviting the son. Let me just, let me, I mean, I love Pastor Benjamin and Pastor Sonny, but, like, let me, if I apply this truth, let me invite the son, um, you know, as soon as we were planning for this retreat, and we're thinking, who do we invite to speak? We've had all sorts of preachers um, come through, and it just was so clear. God was saying, invite Pastor Joseph Sevier. And, um, wow, I just, I'm so excited. He flew halfway across world. He's from California and he arrived last night. I know we got a lot of Cali heads here. Yeah, I'll clap for you. (laughs) Y'all know that I'm from New York, right? New York. All right. All right. Thank you. I got, I got one hand, Um, but uh, he's coming all the way from California. The ministry is in Emeryville, California in the Northern California area, San Francisco. And so uh, he was an associate pastor and now he just got promoted to being a youth ministry pastor, youth ministry director, him and his amazing wife, um, who's gorgeous. I don't know how he got her. Cause I met her and I was like, I was looking at her, and I was looking at him, and I was looking at her and looking at him and I was like, Wow, man, man of God, you are blessed Man of God, you are blessed. You should have brought a picture. I mean, she's gorgeous for real. They just came back from Cancun and he's looking a little dark, but you know, he's Mexican, so that's normal and um, representing, right? Uh, but uh, Pastor Joseph, he's an incredible speaker. He's just so passionate. And, you know, one thing that I know is he's come prayed up. I mean, he's been praying for this retreat. Some of you guys just signed up this week. But there has been an army of people praying for this retreat months in advance. So you know that you're stepping into what we call a Kairos moment. And so let's just give a very warm welcome to Pastor Joseph Sevier. Come on, let's just invite him up. You can come up here. You can go down here. What do you want? Like we we'll set you up with this.
1: Pastor Aaron is correct. Jesus hecka hooked a brother up with my wifey, and um, I'm like her in awe of how I even got her. I have a picture on my, uh, my computer, so hopefully tomorrow we can pull it up on the big screen, man, because she needs to be on the big screen all the time. But um, as I was preparing, they snuck a little basket next to me, and it had a letter from my wife. I just wanted to cry. <laughs> I was like, she's so deep. She's so deep. But I'm so excited to be here tonight. Again, my name is Joseph. I am Mexican. That is correct. Even though I've gone through an identity crisis because I'm, like, not the real Mexican, but kind of Mexican. Like, you know, you grew up not speaking Spanish and not celebrating all the Mexican holidays. But when people look at you, they're like, you're Mexican, right? And I'm like, kind of, right? I, I, yeah, maybe. And so when I go to Mexico, I can't even speak and communicate with the people. And, um, yeah, I'm going to get over it, though. It's okay. Working through it. But I'm so excited to be here because I believe that God has something powerful, not only for you, but for me and for us and for this generation and for this world and for generations to come. Tonight truly is a Kairos time when the word Kairos is the specific moment in time that God is destined from before creation, from eternity A specific moment in time that God is destined from eternity to encounter us, to meet us, to transform us, to make himself real to us. And I pray that tonight your hearts would be open to that. But let's go to him in prayer. Father, tonight we're here to meet with you. God, more than anything else, our desire is to see you and to know you. And sometimes, God, you are the most inconvenient being. But we thank you. That you desire to inconvenience us in such a way that transforms not only our lives, but our futures and our destiny. And God, I pray that tonight the hearts of your sons and daughters would be open to encounter you, the living God that our hearts would be open and willing to be inconvenienced by the reality of who you are in your presence. Spirit of God, awaken our hearts tonight. Remove every distraction. Lord, we bind everything that would keep us from receiving your word and truth, and we declare tonight that hearts are going to be awakened to the Kairos moment that you have destined from eternity for us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about the inconvenience of God. The Inconvenience of God. You know, Amazing Grace, it's a movie that's been out for a number of years now. It's one of my favorite movies. Anybody ever heard of it? Amazing Grace. It's about, a, you know, a man who uh, just fought for 20 plus years of his life to abolish the slave trade. Pretty powerful movie. And his name was William Wilberforce. And William Wilberforce had a bright future. He was in Parliament, one of the youngest and most effective men in Parliament at, during his time. But there comes a moment in his life where God begins to encounter him. And in this movie, Amazing Grace, he begins to share with his butler. He's outside and he's looking at the spider webs and looking at the leaves and the, you know, bushes and flowers. And he walks out and his butler sees him. and He's like. Brother said, like, I'm not even going to ask any questions. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what the heck you're doing here on the grass, looking at all this junk, tweaking at me. Who sits on grass and looks at spider webs when you're in parliament? You should be studying, right? Butler's like, I'm not even asking any questions. And he says, he looks at his butler and tells him, he says, you know, he said, I think I found God. Rather, I think God found me. And he said, do you know, do you have any idea How utterly inconvenient that is. Here was a man whose future was laid out for him. He was so powerful in parliament that he could have ran possibly to become the prime minister at that time. But God encountered him in such a way and inconvenienced him. Because when you look at the word inconvenient or inconvenience, it's something that's untimely, it's inappropriate. It's, it's, it's a nuisance. It's something that it, it, it impedes on your sense of need or desire or purpose. And William Wilberforce at this moment is like thinking, man, I can get ready to go into government and I could transform this nation. But yet God found me in the midst of all of this. Man, do you understand? This is so inconvenient right now. It's such a nuisance that God would step into my life at this point, at this time. I mean, my plans are great. My future's great. And hold on, God wants to interrupt it? This is horrible. This is absolutely ridiculous. It's completely, completely, and utterly a nuisance. And when I heard that line when I was watching this movie, I was like, wow, how often. Have I seen God try to encounter us in our lives? Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who formed me and shaped me, who knew me even before I was in my mother's womb, desiring to reach down and grab a hold of my life and awaken me to the reality of who he is. But I see it as an inconvenience because I have my future planned, because I have my destiny locked according to my desires, what I see is best. I want to share a story about a man, about about a man by the name of Moses. Because when God begins sometimes, when God begins to enter into our lives and when God begins to inconvenience us, it seems very strange. And Moses was a man who was on the run. Here was a man who grew up in Pharaoh's house and he was privileged. He had wealth. He had a prestigious name. But something inside of him knew that he wasn't of Pharaoh's line. He knew he was an Israelite. He knew he was from the line of Abraham. And so what happens is Moses, he starts rising up and he eventually kills an Egyptian. I'm not going to get into the whole story. You can read it in Exodus chapter 1 and 2. He kills an Egyptian and he sees two Israelites fighting the next day. He's like, brothers, why are you fighting? And They're like, what? you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And from that moment on, Moses is like, oh, snap. They're on to me. I better bounce up out this piece. And he runs into the desert. He runs away from his bright future in the house of Pharaoh and runs into the desert trying to get away from everything in his past. So Moses is a man on the run trying to escape his past. And at this present time, when God begins to encounter him, it seems like he's content with his present and possibly bright and has hope about his future. He thinks about he's living with, he married a woman, Jethro, the priest of God most high was his father-in-law. So he's thinking, man, shoot, I could be a shepherd the rest of my life. I could have a maid. I don't need to go back to Egypt. Nobody needs to bother me. I'm here in the desert. No one even knows who I am or where I am. This is all good. But then in Exodus chapter three, Something very inconvenient happens. Verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought to himself, I will go over and see this strange sight. Moses in the desert, trying to go about his own business, on the run from his past, content with his present, and hopeful about his future. He's walking his sheep, tending the, tending the sheep as a good shepherd does, and he sees this bush on fire. Now, it's not uncommon, realistically, in the desert for a bush to catch fire. If you live back, like, in Texas or Mexico, you know how I'm saying, where our people stay... <laughs> It's very easy for there to be, uh, for combustion to take place when it's extremely dry and extremely hot. And a tumbleweed would go, and friction cause, causes combustion, and all of a sudden that tumbleweed catches fire. But what does it do? Within about 30 seconds to a minute, that tumbleweed, pff, it burns up. So Moses, he's probably walking, and he sees this bush on fire, and he's like, oh, another one of those bushes. He's like, on fire. All right, cool. Come on, sheep. Let's keep going. About five more minutes, he looks back over there. He's like, hold up am I tweaking snap it's kind of hot up here hey sheep you see that Bam. that's what I'm saying all right so he goes oh, let me just get some water real quick go, go, go. let me just go chill under some rock real quick five, five more minutes go past looks at snap that bush is still on fire all right this is strange the bible's very clear that it says it was a strange sight Moses was like this was strange so he walks up to it. Do you know that God sometimes reveals himself in the strange? What seems strange to us is really normal to God. There's things that happen in our lives that God is trying to use to get our attention, or there's things that we see that He's doing, like in this crazy director lady. And it looks strange. You know, like that thing they call speaking in tongues? when the Spirit of God overtakes somebody's heart and life and overwhelms them and imparts to them a gift where they speak in a whole new language, that junk is strange. (laughs) It's like Moses looking at that bush. What the heck is going on? You know, the whole idea of loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you, Hold up, this junk is strange. I mean, the world says if someone punches you, you punch that fool right back in the face. Don't let nobody smash on you like that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up with with heck of kids in my family. There was nine of us, right? Yeah, you feel me? So, like, and six of us are boys. So, hold it's like, hey, your brother takes your piece of chicken. You know what you do? You punch him and take it back. Right? I mean, you don't play. You want to punch me, I'll punch you back. You want to kick me, I'll kick you back. You want to spit on me, I'll spit on you back. You want to pull my hair, I'll kick you in the nuts. Just keep it real, right? It's like you want to get dirty, I'll take it to the next level. That's the world system. But hold on. Love your enemy? Pray for those who persecute you? You know, when God first began to speak to me and began to move in my life, He began to radically change me. And I remember I was in my room and I was sitting on the floor and I was just crying out to God, Lord, I want more of you. I want to love you. I want to experience you. Jesus, fill me with your presence. I want to know who you are. Son of God, make yourself real to me. And I was in my room crying. I mean, weeping, burgers just like coming down my face, everything, right? And God's like, oh, yeah, you really want to surrender all your life, huh? It's like, oh, heck yeah, God. Man, I just want to give you everything. Oh, man, that's so good, son. You know what? Go tell your father you're sorry. Hold up. <laughs> hey, that's strange, God. That is strange. Go to. You mean, like, tomorrow, right? No, right now, Joseph. Stop your praying. Stop your crying. And go tell your dad you're sorry. Tell my dad. But see, like... But God, he understands, right? He understands that I messed up because I was just a kid when I did all that stuff where I told him I hated him or I told him I was mad at him or I didn't want to talk to him anymore or all that kind of. Yeah, but you said you want to give your life to me, didn't you? But you said you love me with everything that you are, didn't you? You said you want, you, you want me to have all of you, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, God, you know, um, I did, right? But you know, what I meant was, um, dang, all right. And I remember I got up at that moment because that's strange i mean who you know teenage person at that point i was like man, i'm a grown man i tell my dad i'm sorry but like hey pops it's cool right it's cool all right good let's go all right no no he, god wanted me to go in his room my dad's room was right next to mine we had no door like hardcore mexican family right we had no door <laughs> and so we're in there and i got up got up went out the room i was like walked up to my dad everything within me wanted to resist it's strange but sometimes god speaks from within the strange everything within me says god just do it a different way just let me forgive him in my heart and let me apologize in my heart and let him forgive me and just let him know that i'm sorry without even me after have to say it god's like nah 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 enter into the strange and i walked into his room and i remember sitting on his bed and my dad's you know sleeping or i thought he was sleeping and i guess he was listening to me pray and all that kind of stuff and um and I sit on his bed and I just said, dad, And he's like, what's up? Mijo? And um, I was like, dad, I just want you to know that I'm sorry. And he's like, what? And I was just like, I'm sorry, dad. I'm sorry for all the times. And dude, God reminded me of when I was like five, six, seven, ten years old yelling at my dad. I hate you. You suck, dad. I mean, like, you know, he's like, dad, can I go stand at my friend's house? Sorry, mijo, you can't tonight. I hate you, dad. Dang. You're heck a mean dad. Like all those things, but there was anger, there was hurt, there was resentment, all these things that were built up in my heart that I didn't realize were there. And and God just at that moment, Joseph, I want you to tell me you're sorry. And God, I'm just, I'm sorry, Dad. I was like, Dad, I just, all those times I told you I hate you, all those times I've yelled at you, all those times I dishonored you, I disrespected you. Dad, I just said, Dad, you're a good father. And I just began to weep, and he began to weep, and God just did this powerful, powerful healing time at that moment. From within the strange he called out to me. From within that place where it seemed foreign. From within that place where it looked you look at it, it's like, man, that's crazy. God began to speak. Because what's strange to us is normal to God. Forgiveness is normal to him. Reconciliation is normal to him. Healing is normal to him. Right relationship is normal to him. It's strange to us because we don't see it often. It's strange to us because we don't see it happen on a day-to-day basis in the church and outside of the church. But to the kingdom of God and in the family of God, it's meant to be a norm. Oftentimes, what seems strange to us is meant to be a norm to him. But see, it didn't end there. Then Moses sees this strange sight. And then God calls from within the sight. Moses, God calls and he says, here I am. See, God often calls us from within that place. And we need to be willing to step out of the place that we're in to approach that which seems strange. We need to be like Moses to say, Lord, here I am. What is it that you're wanting to say to me? God, I know I'm standing here, but you called me there. You begin to speak to me. And I don't want to stand here any longer, but I want to begin to approach you. So many times we're afraid of being strange. We're afraid of looking crazy. We're afraid of stepping into that place. If Moses would have said, "Oh, hey, this bush is on fire and it's talking to me, oh, heck to the no, I'm out. He had a choice. He could have chose to say, this is freakish. I mean, I've only, I haven't even heard of this junk. I'm bouncing. I'm turning away from this. But he made a choice to approach that which seems strange. He made a choice to approach this bush. And as he began to approach this bush, God began to encounter him. You know, when God begins to meet us in these things that seem strange, we have a choice as well. We have a choice to look at, oh, dang, that person looks, yep, yep, definitely looks like a freak. Yep, um. Pretty dang crazy. I don't know what the heck is going on over there. You know what? I don't even want to be a part of that. You know, you stay on that side of the church because whatever you got, I don't even want it. I don't want to be yelling. I don't want to be jumping up and singing. I don't want to. I remember when I got, again, when I first became a Christian, I was in church. And it was, I was standing there during worship. And, you know, you see some people standing there like this. And some people just standing there like this. and Some people just sitting down. And then some people just like being like freaks, right, jumping everywhere, all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, I don't even know. But God just began to stir something in my heart. And something inside of me began to say, you know what? I don't care. I don't care what people say. I don't care what I look like. I know, and I'm going to share the story with you in a, little bit long, a little bit later. But I know how God radically met me. And if I can't stand and worship him with everything that I am, then what the heck is this all about? And I remember standing there during the song being sung, and I was just like, I'm going to lift up my hands. And I don't care what people say. I mean, that's what I was wanting to say, though, right? But, you know, that part of me was like, oh, shoot, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm about to do this. 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 What's happening? What's happening? Right? Everything within me was freaking out. What am I going to look like? Oh, dang. They're, they're like, that crazy Mexican. Man, I knew that Mexican was crazy, right? But, but I was like, I don't know. But every day, all of a sudden, I just remember just the presence of God filling me just like, I don't even care. Just singing, lifting up my hands, going after God. And there has to come a point in our lives where we begin to say, it doesn't matter any longer. I'm going to approach the strange because that's where God meets us. And it's places where there's mystery. There's time, that's the place where God begins to reveal himself. And Moses, he began to approach this bush. He began to walk towards it. And God said to him, "Moses, take off your shoes because the place where you're standing is holy ground." God told him to take off his sandals. all right, this bush is talking to me. It's on fire, it's not burning up. Why is it not burning up?" And God reveals to him why? Because the place that you're standing on, Moses, it's holy ground. Kadesh, it's holy, it's different. See, Moses, when you were in Egypt, you saw idols all around. You saw all these gods being worshipped in Egypt. But now you're standing in front of God Almighty, the only God that truly is, truly was, and truly ever will be. I'm different, Moses. You ain't never seen nothing like this, Moses. I'm a God that is inexplainable. And so many times we're afraid of the inexplainable. We're afraid to that which cannot be explained. We're afraid of the mystery of God. We're afraid of the awesomeness of God. Therefore, we don't want to approach it. Because I don't want to approach something that I can't explain. So many people say, well, why do you believe in God? Because I do. What? Well, give me some evidence. He changed my life. Well, what's some hardcore facts? I am not the same. Well... I, right, but what do you mean by you're not the same? I used to hate, and now I love. I used to not have hope, and now I do. I used to not have joy and peace at night, but I can sleep with peace. But hold on. What's the hardcore facts? I mean, who, how, how tall was Jesus? I don't know, and I really don't care because I know that he's alive because the spirit is living and thriving within me. A couple of weeks ago, we had our big, huge ABBA conference. And um, it was powerful. It was awesome. It was heck of legit. And I, I was <laughs> it's not only legit because I was directing it, but it was just, it was legit because Jesus showed up. But I was there. And the third session, my father came. I hecka love my father. And he came to the conference. And he, you know, he's getting ready. We're about to worship in about 15 minutes. And he, he comes up to me and grabs me. He's like Joseph, and I was like, What's up, Bob? And he said, um, He said I just got a call. I need to go to the hospital. I'm like, yeah, I was like, oh snap. Like, what? What's up? He's like, I just got a call that your brother, my 13-year-old brother got he said got airlifted off of the football field and he's numb from the neck down. And here I am in this conference heading it up, and honestly, everything within me was like, "Why, God? Why?" Like, dude, I'm doing this for you, God. Like, what's up? I mean, you're supposed to be moving powerfully, but then I was just like, okay, um, all right. And he's, I was like, should I, should I go? And he's like, no, just, just stay here, go. You know, I'll, I'll let you know what's going on. And I was like, all right. And so I immediately went to Pastor Benjamin, Pastor Sonny, my spiritual mother and father. And I, um, I didn't. He was getting ready to prepare, and I really didn't want to bother him. And so I was just like, hey, Pastor Sonny, Like I was trying to whisper. I was like, hey, um, something's going on with my family. And PB's like, what? <laughs> 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 like what happened? And I was like, uh, well, um, I just got a call that my little brother might be paralyzed from the neck down. They had to bring a helicopter in and lift it. And he's like, oh, heck no. He's like, we're going to pray right now. And so he grabbed me. You know, we grabbed hands together. And he just said, I declare in the name of Jesus, he's going to be healed. He he is not going to be paralyzed. This sickness will not last. And I was just like, honestly, my faith was like, uh, like, <laughs> I want to believe that, but it's pretty hard to believe when your dad just tells you your little brother got lifted off a helicopter from the football field. And I was just like, all right, but I'm going to believe. I'm just God, I give it to you. And I remember, you know, the worship started happening. Brian and Jen Johnson from Bethel, they were there leading worship, and it was powerful. And, like, everything in me, though, was freaking out. I'm not going to lie. But I just said, you know what, God, I don't care. I can't explain who you are and the goodness that you give. And I can't explain how amazing and awesome you are, and, but I'm going to worship you because of it. And I remember I just started weeping, and I just began to sing to God. I began to dance. I began to worship him and lift up the name of Jesus. I mean, I was just going hard after God. And a little bit later, my dad, you know, he gets a call. I call my brother, a couple of different calls going all over the place. And my dad tells me, your brother, half an hour after he got to the hospital, 30 minutes later, he's up walking around they say they took x-rays nothing the doctors couldn't explain it they could not explain what happened and my brother I was listening to me came the next morning and shared with my older brother he said as soon as I he said I was at that game Joseph he said as soon as I got to the field I just saw like all this crowd on the football field and I ran to it and he said, I saw our brother laying on the ground, and he's just crying and crying and crying. He's so afraid, and he's just like, he was so scared. And everybody's just telling him, oh, just think positive. Just think positive. You're not really in pain. You're not really, you know, you're not really, uh, blah, 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 and they, I mean, they were grabbing his legs, and he couldn't feel nothing. They were grabbing his hands. He couldn't feel nothing. Pinching him, grabbing him, doing all scratching him. He couldn't feel nothing. He's crying, freaked out. And my brother said, I just told him, 20, Gregor, you're a son of God. I got like 20 brothers. He's like, Gregor, you're a son of God. You're a child god god got you you're gonna be okay and he said i just began to speak the peace of god over him and pray for him and at that moment my brother said i knew i knew he was gonna be okay i knew he was gonna be okay you see too often we're afraid of the inexplainable. doctors couldn't explain why he was okay all they knew is he got hit in his neck and went limp from the neck down 30 minutes later he's up completely walking and he's fine we cannot be afraid of the unexplainable We cannot be afraid to step into the place that's different. We cannot be afraid to go into those places that are unfamiliar. We need to learn how to be acquainted with the unfamiliar. We need to learn how to be able to stand in the awesomeness of God, in the place that's different, and be completely unashamed. Yeah, I can't explain all of him. Yeah, I can't. may not be able to give you all these facts that you may want. Yeah, it may go beyond logic. Why? Because the word of God says that his ways are infinite. They're beyond understanding. But I know that he's awesome. And I know that he's different. He's so different that angels cry, holy, different, different, different. And guess how long they've been crying that? From all of eternity. 1,000 years go past and they say, holy, this God is different. I never seen nothing like him. 10 billion years later, they're crying out, holy, he's different. I ain't ever seen nothing like him. But too many times us as Christians, a week goes by after God moves in our life and like, dang, yeah, he was holy. But um, I ain't got the money to pay for my bills. And, you know, Bon Cui Cui broke up with me. And, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what's going on. We lose the awesomeness of God in a matter of moments, but yet the angels for eternity stand in his awesomeness and are amazed by it constantly. We need to learn how to be willing to be acquainted with the unfamiliar when you step into the kingdom of God. When you step into relationship with God, you need to learn how to be comfortable with the inexplainable. Because it's strange and it's very inconvenient. It's very inconvenient not to be able to give all details about why you believe what you believe at times. It's very inconvenient to be stuck in a conversation and people say, well, yeah, you say that person got healed, but really what happened physically? I don't know. All I know is we prayed in Jesus' name and God did it. But we have to be willing to step into that place. We have to be willing to be inconvenienced by God the same way that Moses was. But, you know, another thing that's really inconvenient about the inconvenience of God is that a lot of times it interrupts the flow of our lives. It interrupts the flow of our lives. You know, how many of you have ever been in the zone? All right. How many of y'all, y'all in college, right? So how many, of you have, how many of you like to study, first of all? Oh, Lord, bless them. Just I want you right now to release that anointing upon this room, all right? So especially for those who don't like to study, you know what this is like. You get in the zone, right? And you you need to make sure that you stay there. If you're like me, you get distracted by everything. Oh, fly, what the heck? I done told you, fly, get up out of my house, all right? Uh, Ten minutes later, you're having a conversation with the fly, right? In the zone, okay? So you're in the zone, you're focusing, and people give you a call. They start talking to you. Someone knocks on your door. Your wife wants to ask you like 10,000 questions. And they're awesome questions. Every single one of them, right? Every one of them. They're amazing. Amen. (laughs) But when you're in the zone, when you're there, you want to stay there. But it's, it's such a horrible tragedy when you get interrupted when you're in the zone. And so often we feel the same way with God. When we feel like we're doing the right thing. We got everything figured out. We have our life planned. We got our schedule set. We got our days numbered. We're in the zone with what's going to happen. Man, if I just stay on this course, if I just finish this degree this way, then I could get set up with this job, then I could get paid this much money. I could live in that house, and that woman's going to want me. I'm going to have, like, ten kids, and it's going to be awesome. Go to the Jujibong every single day, right? It's going to be amazing. Oh, Jim Jibong, you know go to that place i want to tell you about a man by the name of paul who was interrupted by the inconvenience of god god's inconvenience interrupted his flow now paul was passionate he was zealous i mean some of y'all think you're in the zone i mean this man he was so in the zone he was living for the god of israel in such a passionate way Where he heard these people called Christians following the way, the way of Jesus. They were following the way and he heard about them. And so he decided that he was going to kill them and persecute them and beat them, take them from their homes, destroy their lives because they were living outside of the teaching of the God of Israel. So zealous, so passionate, so focused, and so in the zone. He had a flow. I'm going to move forward. Matter of fact, he got a letter from the chief priest at the time of Israel to be able to go to Jerusalem and to be able to take Christians from their home and to be able to uh, take them from their home and disrupt their lives. I mean, you talk about someone that's passionate. You talk about someone that has determination. You talk about someone that has a bright future. Paul had a bright future, according to Jewish custom. But God decided that he was going to inconvenience him and interrupt his flow. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any, Christ, any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. God interrupted his flow. He thought he was on the right track. He thought he was going in a good direction. He thought he was doing what was right. But God had to interrupt him to show them that what he was doing was completely wrong. Sometimes God has to interrupt our flow and inconvenience us in order to get our attention. Saul was so passionate. Jesus had to reveal himself to him. Jesus had to encounter him and knock him off of his donkey. By a bright light, make himself real to him. And not only knock him off his donkey, but he had to blind him. Verse seven, it says, and the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. See, if Paul would have continued Saul, Paul, if he would have continued on this path, he would have not only ruined his life, But he would ruin the lives of countless thousands, probably, possibly even millions in the future of God's people. And sometimes we think we're doing what God wants us to do. Sometimes we think we're on the right path, even walking with God. And he has to encounter us in such a way to reveal that what we're doing is not for him, but it's against him. When you are pursuing your own passions and your own dreams, your own desires, and your own future, no matter how good your intentions are, they're against God. No matter how holy or righteous you think your acts are, they're against God. Because they're self-promoted, self-motivated, and self-powered. And anything that stands opposed to God is idolatry. Paul saw it had to be encountered in such a way where his flow was interrupted, where God had to fully and completely inconvenience him to show him that what he was doing was wrong, no matter how good he thought his intentions were. You know, there's a common phrase that's said a lot of times, and it's very true. Hell is paved, the pathway to hell is paved with good intentions. Just being good does not make you right in God's eyes. Giving to the poor, feeding the orphan, no matter how good it is. Fighting human trafficking. Helping provide education. These things, they're great things, they're good things. But that's not what makes us right in the eyes of God. Paul thought he was standing up for God's righteousness. He was zealous for the fear of God. He was zealous that the people all throughout the world would know the one true God. But he was missing it. He was wrong. And sometimes the interruptions that God brings into our flow seem inconvenient at first. But if we were to continue down that path, we'd recognize that it really leads to a destiny of destruction. Paul might have felt like, dang, blind for three eyes, that's jacked. For real, couldn't you have got my attention some other way, God? But God knew that was the only way he can get Paul's attention. Some of you thinking like, man, situations that I'm going through right now, God, for real, hold up. I mean, God, yeah, it's not only inconvenient, but that's jacked. Like, for real, you're letting me face this. You're letting me go through this. You're letting that person turn on me. You're letting that happen to me. You're letting me be broke here. Maybe God's using those inconveniences to try to get your attention. See, God's never going to force himself upon you, but he's a master at getting our attention. He's been doing it from eternity. He's pretty legit. He's never going to make you choose him. He's never going to force you to receive the life that he freely has given us in his son, Jesus. But he's going to do everything in his divine power to get your attention. And he knew that for Saul. It was not only for him, but it was for the salvations of millions of lives. The salvation of millions of lives depended on Saul's flow being interrupted. Some of you think God's jacking you up. Some of you think God's inconveniencing you. That's because your vision for your life is far too small. God told Isaiah, he said, he told the Israelites in Isaiah, he said, look to the rock from which you were cut, the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah, your mother. When I called him, he was but one, but I blessed him and I made him many. God had to remind them, you see yourself as so small. When Abraham came to me, he was one man, but I saw in him generation after generation after generation after generation. I interrupted his flow. I called him to step out of everything that was familiar to him. I called him to come away from his family, come away from his land, come away from the future prospects of everything he had in his father's household. If Abraham would have said no, it would have only been because he saw his life as so small. When God saw Abraham, he didn't see one person. He saw millions. When God saw Paul, he saw millions. And when God looks at you, he sees millions. You're looking at your life and your future and your schooling and what you desire and your plans. And you're just thinking about maybe you and your kids and your grandkids. God's thinking about generations to come. You need to begin to see yourself not through your own eyes, but through the eyes of the God who formed you and shaped you and has known you. You need to stop seeing yourself with this low level thinking. You need to stop seeing yourself with the small lens that you're looking through. You need to see yourself through the eyes of the living God. Because there are thousands, millions of lives that are depending upon you to be knocked off your horse, to even be blinded if necessary, to turn your heart to God Almighty so that you could set them free from the darkness that they're in. Some of you don't yet believe that, but it's truth. See, God's never going to force himself upon you, but he'll do everything that he can to make sure he gets your attention. And he doesn't care about your flow. He doesn't care about how you roll. He cares about what he knows is best because he's a good God and he has good things in store for humanity. When I was 15 years old, that's when God interrupted my flow. And I got to tell you, I was on a roll. You know what I'm saying? I was 15 years old. I was getting ready to do big things. <laughs> I don't even know. Y'all think I'm playing. But I started smoking weed. I was doing really good in school. You know, one of the little popular dudes, popular Mexican, good in sports, all-star, MVP football team, first-place wrestler. And I started smoking weed. I started going into this certain direction. Started talking to girls about having sex, friends sleeping around with girls, seventh, eighth grade. And I held off for a little while, but I was getting ready to flow in that direction. And two days before the year 2000, we're sitting in a garage, and we're talking about what's going to happen when the world blows up. Uh, Y'all remember that? Right? Y2K, everybody's like, the computers, they're going to come alive. Mouses are going to wrap around your neck, and they're going to choke you to death. It's like, oh, it's all downhill. I better smoke as much as I can. Snap. Just keeping it real. And... There's this verse in Ecclesiastes that says, God put eternity in the hearts of men. And that's what happened. Eternity started coming up. Like, Hey, what's going to happen when you die? <laughs> I'm going to go to heaven, bud. <laughs> it's going to be hectic tight. Asking, someone asked another person, what's going to happen when you die? And when I die, I'm just going back to the ground, man. It's just, just earth, you know what I'm saying? I came from the earth. I'm going back to the earth. <laughs> and they get to me. They're like, Joseph, what's going to happen when you die? I knew a little bit about God. I knew enough to know that I wasn't living for Jesus and that he was the only way to heaven. He was the only way to eternal life. I was just like, I don't know. Really? I don't know. And we're sitting there, and a couple of hours later, we're talking about sex, talking about stupid stuff, talking about heck of junk, you know, the junk you talk about when you're high. If you're a guy, don't do it if you haven't, in Jesus' name. Just get away from that. And all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of the room and my friends are around me. And I start singing a song that I knew from church when I was a little boy, when my dad used to take me. And I have no idea how I remembered the song. But in in front of all my friends, being hardcore, all this junk, I start singing the song, Holy Ghost, you wonderful Holy Ghost. A wind blowing strong flowing from heaven. We have decided to go all the way with our God. Revival in the land is our goal. And that soldiers of his army will fight with heart and soul. And all of a sudden, I felt heat rush from my head to my feet. In front of all of my friends. And I began to weep uncontrollably. bawling, Boogers tears ah, that kind of cry not the love it was like ah. i felt fire go through my body and i begin to bawl uncontrollably and my friends are looking at me like oh they're like one dude's like hey joseph what's happening blood what's happening man you seen the angel you seen an angel and the other friends like oh dang oh dang this be happening to my auntie this be happening to my auntie oh man oh man and i'm sitting there And I'm just like, "Ah, I don't know, I don't know. And I'm crying, I'm crying, I'm crying. And I felt the spirit of God speak two things to me. One, Joseph, nobody sees what you're doing, but I do. Your parents don't know, your friends at school don't know, your teachers don't know, the girls you're trying to holler at don't know, but I see it, and it's wrong, and it's time to change. And I love you. And at that moment, God interrupted my flow. He inconvenienced me in such a way where my life would be absolutely altered, where my future direction would be completely changed at that moment. I didn't understand. I couldn't explain what I felt. I couldn't explain what I experienced, but I knew from that moment on that the God of the Bible, the one who calls himself, the one true God, he is real and he is alive. And from that moment on, I went home and I opened up the Bible and I began to read and I said, God, I don't understand what the heck is written in this junk, but if you are God and you are real, and you're the one that met me that night, you got to show me. You got to show me if this Jesus, the one that my parents told me about, the one they talk about at church, even though it's boring. If that Jesus is real, if he's the one that encountered me that night by his presence, God, I want it. I want it. And I would see God. I would wake up at two in the morning, three in the morning on my face. God, I want you. Who I don't know. I want what I, what I had that night. God, I want to experience what I had that night. I want more of it. I want to see who you are. I want to encounter you that way. Jesus, I want to know who you are. I want to make you known the same way that you made yourself known to me that day. God is calling us to be willing to be inconvenienced by all that he is. God is calling us to be willing to step into the strange. God is calling us to be willing to pursue the inexplainable, to allow him to reveal himself. God is calling us to be willing to be knocked off the horses of our life, the donkeys of our life, our schooling our logic, our ways of thinking, our passionate pursuits and I'm not saying all those things are bad because they're not, what God wants to do he wants to redeem all of those things he wants to take them and make them greater than you ever thought they could be who would have thought a little Mexican coming out of Hayward, California would travel to Africa to reach out to orphans would go to the Philippines to love on people in the streets would go to Indonesia to care for the sick and see the demon possessed set free would go to Mexico and tell teen teenagers, that they're destined by God. But he interrupted my flow and he revealed himself to me in a way that I could never saw me seeing him. Tonight, God wants to interrupt some of your flow. Tonight, God's desiring to inconvenience some of you. But the question is, will you allow him to? I want you to stand up to your feet right now. Come on. I want you to stand up to your feet right now. And I want to ask you to open your heart to the God that wants to inconvenience you. I want to ask you, are you willing for God to interrupt your schedule and your pattern? Are you willing for God to interrupt your plans and your future? Are you willing to allow the one who formed you and knew you? You see, God is here tonight in our theme verse. Second Corinthians chapter five. It says, do not receive God's grace in vain. For it says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I say to you that now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. For me, at that moment, in the garage, I had a choice. Was I going to receive the favor the undeserved love and compassion that God wanted to pour out on my life? Or was I going to harden my heart and turn from it? Was I going to be willing to approach that strangeness? I mean, talk about strange. You're in the middle of all your friends trying to be hard and you start weeping like a little baby. That junk is strange. But something inside of me wanted more of it. And I believe for some of you tonight, Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. God wants to encounter you. Tonight, this moment, this service, this is your burning bush. This is your burning bush. This is the light that's going to knock you off your horse if you'll be willing to allow it to. Some of you don't realize, but God has destined tonight for you to encounter him from before time. And it's not just for you, but it's for generations. Heavenly Father, we open our hearts to you right now. Father, you're such a good God. God, and I thank you that tonight you're speaking to your children in this room. Some don't even yet know they're your children. Some don't yet know that that you've desired them, God. But tonight I thank you that your Holy Spirit is breaking their hearts and he's awakening them to your love and to your beckon. Spirit of the living God, I ask that you would fall heavy upon this room right now. God, inconvenience us. Inconvenience us, God. Interrupt us. Change our perspective on how we see you interact with us, God. Let it no longer be seen as an inconvenience, but as an encounter with Almighty God. May it no longer be seen as an inconvenience, but as, Lord God, a meeting with God Most High. As a loving Kairos moment, Spirit of the living God, awaken us tonight. Awaken us. Let us be willing to be interrupted. Let us be willing to allow the flow of our life to be interrupted by the one who's loved us from before the world began. Jesus. Jesus. We're going to stay here just for one moment because I believe God is moving in some of your hearts. I believe the Spirit of God is just awakening some of you. Some of you have been wrestling with God. Some of you have been questioning Him. Some of you have been questioning even why you're here in Korea. Oh, you don't know. God planned it. God planned it. God set you up because He loves you so much. And He loves the lives that are going to be transformed by your life. God set you up by His loving design. God set you up by His loving design, and He's wanting to reveal. He's wanting to reveal Himself to you tonight. I wanna, I wanna ask you just to open your heart to Him, just to open your heart to Him in your own words. Just begin to say, God, if You're real, if You're desiring me, I want it. Some of you, you, you've just been apathetic, even as we saw in that spoken word. You've just been saying, man, I'm sick of retreats. I'm sick of all these things over and over and over. But some of you, but you're wanting. In the inside, you're saying, man, if, if God is really real, I want it. I want it. I want it. And the Spirit of God is here to say, yes, I'm here and I'm real. And I'm alive and I burn like fire. And if you'll let me, I'll consume you. If you let me, I'll take over your life. If you let me, I'll show you things that you only dreamed about. God, I ask that you would awaken us tonight. Come on, I want some of you. Some of you have been hungering for him. Some of you have been hungering for him. Some of you have been hungering for him. And I just want to stir something up inside of you right now. I want you just to open your mouth and just begin to say, God, I want it. God, I want all that you have. God, I want all that you have. Come on. God, interrupt my flow right now. Interrupt my flow right now. I don't know what the future holds, God, but I know if you hold the future, then it's got to be good. I don't know what the future holds, but if you hold my future, God, it's got to be good. And I want what you want. Come on. Come on. Just begin to open your mouth and begin to cry out to God tonight. You don't need someone to lay hands on you. You don't need someone to lay hands on you. You need the Spirit of God to consume you. You need the Father to awaken your heart.